Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, February 28th. Yeah, we're about ready to say goodbye to February. Probably a good time to do that. Hasn't exactly been a good month for Mm. a myriad of reasons. But on this episode, we begin our outfield preview, which is probably a two-parter, maybe two and a half parts. You got to put utility-only players somewhere. Uh, Maybe we could do catchers in like eight minutes because it's the worst position in the entire fantasy pool. So... (laughs) Uh, just, you know, there's lots of ways around this, but lots to get to today, so not a lot of rambling. We did get back out and play pickleball again on Sunday and had a beer, so I feel like that's a that's a small victory. Yeah, yeah, and I scored, uh, like, I think four points in one of the games, so I'm making some progress. Yep, and I have been inspired by Chad Bradford to try and <laughs> work on a new serve where I get the paddle very low and hit a very funky ultra spin serve that does all sorts of nasty things on its way related to, you know to my difficulty in scoring points yeah yeah it's going okay <laughs> I, I still i still have a little work to do got to get in front of the uh the high speed cameras and you know yeah see how the ball comes off the paddle and make sure i've got the right efficiency all those things but we begin with our outfield preview As we do on all these episodes, we're looking at things by NFBC ADP tier, just looking at players clustered together, trying to decide whether or not they're overvalued, undervalued, uh, figuring out who we like, who we don't like. The elite outfield group is really good. I'm going to call this group the first rounders and occasional first rounders. All of these players have carried ADPs inside the top 20 overall over the last two weeks. We're looking back from February 14th through uh, February 28th for draft results. And that group includes Tatis and Soto and Acuna, Harper, Kyle Tucker, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and Luis Robert. So we have a really good group of players. We've talked about Tatis before. Soto is the pick I just made in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, which got underway on Monday. So that was from the number five spot overall. Happy to get him there. This is a group that It's almost more like, is there anyone in this group you don't trust at their price? Because with Tatis and Soto, like we know who they are, and the ceiling seems to be limitless with Tatis, just a shoulder question. Acuna's coming off the ACL injury, so it'd be great to see him having a spring training of some kind, just to know where he's at compared to everybody else. I look at this group and I think Kyle Tucker maybe is the the one that I'm a little bit skeptical of. I think it was our friend Scott Jenstead and, and Jeff Erickson who brought this up on the Rotowire pod maybe a week or so ago. And I think the the issue I have when I look at Tucker's profile, you know, is I'm not sure we're getting more speed. Like, I think he's he doesn't necessarily have to do that to return first round value. But if he doesn't run more or if he doesn't take another step forward offensively and he's already a good player, I just wonder if what we saw last year is actually pretty close to his peak level, right? So again, it's picking nits. I'm not saying he's totally out of place here, but he's the one name that sort of jumps off the page along with Robert that you could probably pick a few more holes in his case than some of these other players. Yeah, Tucker really stands out. Uh, you you can, on the auction calculator over at Fangraphs, you can sort by ADP uh, and then look over at the dollar amounts and they there's a, a tight correlation, of course, but... You know, Tucker's the one that's that doesn't doesn't that stands out in a bad way. I mean, you've got Tatis at forty one dollars. You got Soto at thirty five, Harper at thirty, uh, and then uh, Acuna at thirty five, uh, and then Tucker at twenty four, and then it goes back up to Trout at twenty nine, Mookie Betts at thirty two. So uh, it really it really stands out uh, in in a bad way. Uh, I. 
I'm receptive to the idea that, you know, he's 25 years old, 26 and 27, you know, that he's in the peak range. Um, and uh, there is, it is possible um, that he could have a, a better batting average, I guess, because, you know, if he repeats at a 16% strikeout rate with that power um, and then has a little bit more batted ball luck, um, you could have like a 310, 315 kind of season alongside 35, you know, homers. And uh, the projections are saying uh, 20 steals. But he stole 14 last year. And he's going to be the big power hitter on this team um, with Alvarez, I guess. And there's a lot of risk on the base pass. I don't see the Astros as a go-go team in terms of, you know, sending him a lot. Um, I could see them saying, hey, you're you're our three hitter, you know, like just take off when in, in spare opportunities where you just you don't think there'll be a play and, you know, you don't get hurt. So I could see him just stealing another 12 bases next year. And I guess the floor is high because of his age and because of his strikeout rate and because of the power. So I guess people like that the floor is high and there is some opportunity uh, for him maybe to steal more if he just decides to. If you're looking for an outfielder, you're looking at Tucker versus Trout versus Betts versus Robert, too, if you want to include him as part of this conversation. You're sitting somewhere in the back part of round one, maybe the early part of round two, if we're talking about a slightly smaller league. How do you order those guys? I mean, you have the longer track record from a guy like Betts. I guess it's 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 health, right? It's mm-hmm. because if I if you knew if you get told me you're going to get a full season from all three of these guys, I would order them Trout, Betts, Tucker. Right. I would too, and I think that's where projections are in terms of Woba, in terms of power. Uh, there's still some speed in the profile for Trout, even though I would expect him to run the least of that entire group, even if you equalized all the playing time. But that's where it's it's the health that makes it complicated. Tucker being younger, not having any sort of massive injury history to be worried about right now. I think that's part of what's nudging him up this way too. And then you can you can talk yourself into him getting better. I mean. He didn't max out playing time volume, played 140 games last year, 567 plate appearances. So another 10 games, another 50 or so plate appearances would push him into the low 600 range. That's not unheard of. If he repeated with that extra volume, the numbers would go up a little bit. Houston's a good lineup. They're going to score plenty of runs. He's going to drive in plenty of runs. So there's a lot of floor there. But the, the area where I actually became most concerned, the more I looked at Kyle Tucker, was that there's not a lot of reason to believe that Houston will give him more green lights. Even though he's a great base dealer, he's 28 for 32 for his career. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like their organizational philosophy is to maximize. Yeah, I expect him to go, running. you know, 12 for 14 again, you know, <laughs> just like, yeah. you know, be, be really high percentage. Uh, but that's not where he's giving the most value to his team. You know, he's, he's more valuable at the plate. So don't risk it, you know, at the, on the base pass, I don't think. Um, Trout is amazing. People, you know, if you listen to this, you'll hear about uh, reach rate and uh, and barrel rate. It's in the name of the show. <laughs> um, and uh, Trout is, is really cool because among outfielders, he's got the third best barrel rate. Um, and uh, among the top 20 in barrel rates, he has the second best uh, reach rate. Um, so that's that's part of what might what makes Mike Trout good and that's why I look forward in other players you know uh other players that that do similarly well um but don't have the speed uh or are missing the the sort of uh bat to ball component are Joey Gallo second in barrel rate and uh second in in reach rate um another one that profile similarly is Kyle Schwaba uh, he is uh, eighth in barrel rate and uh, fourth in reach rate. Um, so, you know, good. And then uh, uh, God of Baseball, Juan Soto, uh, is only 20th in barrel rate, but first in reach rate. So just wanted to give a shout out to those that are doing uh, the good process things underneath the hood. Um, and a shout out to Mike Trout. I mean, he could be healthy this year. And uh, I've got plenty of shares you know i've taken him at the back end of the first round beginning of the second round without compunction is that am i using that right with i actually don't know for sure like um, is it without or with 
you're using a corner of what the vocabulary that I don't even use. So Wait, let's ask Google. Google. It's like when you play golf with your friend and your friend takes out a golf club you've never seen before and they hit it in a very <laughs> strange situation. You're like, yeah, maybe that worked. Ah, is a feeling of guilt or moral scruple. So I'm taking trout without compunction. Yeah. There we go. Correct usage. Uh, I think the trout thing for me, I, I'm in. I'm in at the price. I'll take the discount. I know there's injury risk. I think part of the question you have to answer is what do you think a healthy season for him looks like in terms of games played? I think when you look at the wear and tear on him and the different injuries he's dealt with, expecting him to bounce back to 680 plus appearances where he lived for four years from 2013 to 2016 is probably silly. They have good outfield depth. They are going to lean into that. They're going to try and keep him as healthy as possible. But his per-game performance could be as good as any hitter in the pool still. I think the skills are still there. I'm not buying the increased K rate you know, because the reach rate is still very good. Yes, he had a 456 BABIP in 36 games last year. I don't care. It does not yeah. matter to me. It, <laughs> it, it's useless information. He has a 350 BABIP for his career, man. This guy right. hits the ball hard. Right. He's he's not going to turn to this old, old wooden ship from a, an athleticism <laughs> standpoint, like quickly. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a graceful decline. His it's pull just a rate matter of how much time he last year, but it's also a short, a short sample. 146 plate appearances. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to let that one go. So I'm in on trout. At the there one, could be some turn. load management. You're kind of talking about like you won't you don't think he'll get back to like, you know, 680 plate appearances. He hasn't been there in a while. Right. So there's going to be some load management. I would expect like sort of the the 2019-2018 600 plate appearances is a full season. But in those years he managed to average uh, 42 homers, uh, 105 runs, uh, 100 RBI and uh, 12 steals uh, with a 300 average. So right. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> There's only a few players in this group that don't have a load management issue as a result of past injuries or literally an injury that they're coming back from, right? You could say Acuna is going to have some load management or projected lost time on the front side. Soto might have some shoulder. tanking load management. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, I, I don't think he'll have that. I don't think Harper will have it. I don't think Tucker has any sort of you know yeah. workload restrictions right now. Betts could probably have that. So you do have a few other guys in this group that might not be max volume players. But even with those concerns for both Trout and Betts, I like them both at the one-two turn. I think Betts is still really stable. I think being in a great lineup keeps that floor really high. And that's part of why I like Trout. I mean, I think the way that lineup is built, a healthy Anthony Rendon, Shohei Otani being there, uh, Jared Walsh being a solid secondary guy. I mentioned some of the outfield depth. They could get steps forward from Marsh and Adele. I just think this is a team that could actually put a lot of runs on the board. What was the earned value on Mookie Betts? Because it's funny that, to think, you know, oh, you know, he had a bad season. He might fall out. He's falling out of the first round. Um, I don't know. Like, you know, 264, 23 homers, 10 stolen bases. Uh, not a full season. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty good season for a bad season, if you know what I mean. Yeah, the... Earn value from Rotowire was $16 in a 15-team league, and that was with missed time. So if you just said he stayed healthier, he would have got to probably 20. So and, and the spot probably gave you 20, you know? You probably got some value off of the waiver wire. Yeah, there's Outfield a decent chance he did. not that hard to replace, so... Uh, I don't know. I uh, I'm taking uh, Trout and Betts uh, around that turn, and I've even... I think I have one team where I doubled up. The only downside to that is the scenarios we've talked about where you're waiting on pitching and then 3-4 doesn't break your way and then you're in the, oh, you're in the DVR, Tyler Malley's your ace bucket real quick. So just watch out for that. Another risk, and this is um, more about long-term draft strategy with and maybe deeper drafts, is that there are a lot of outfielders at the end. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay to take one outfield at the top just because they're a great bat, sure. And then maybe even two it's if, if they if it makes sense. But if you have three outfielders in a five outfield, you know, 15-team draft early on, um, I think you'll find at the end, like, dang it, can I fit more outfielders onto this squad somehow? <laughs> yeah, that can so, definitely happen. I, I try to kind of just... Uh, I, I'm not, like, I'm not taking away from their auction value because the auction calculator has sort of spidered it and looked at it and, you know, is, is you know, judging the, 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 the various positions against each other well, and I don't want to, like, undo that work. Uh, but sometimes if the auction values are close, I'll take the non-outfielder in the early and middle uh, because I'm just super sure that there's outfielder is going to be waiting for me at the end. 
Yeah, lots of paths to replace, um, to fill that spot later on and to replace that player in season too if you lose a player in the outfield. So it's not as important for me to lock in someone who I feel great about because I I think replacement level in season tends to be a tick higher in the outfield than it is elsewhere. Uh, Robert is probably the most exciting player of this group from a what could happen perspective. Massive changes to the K rate in his second season, but it was only a partial season. It was a sample only slightly bigger than what he was able to give us in 2020. 20.6% for the K rate. That's a massive improvement from 32.2%. He still had a O-swing percentage that was very concerning, 44.5%. I assume there's going to be a regression there. There has to be, right? So the projections point to 270, a high 270s, low 280s for the batting average. Are you comfortable with that? I mean, it splits the difference between... 2020 and 2021 and it it pulls closer the projections pull closer to the 2021 strikeout percentage they all have him going up to the 23 to 25 percent range i think but does that all sort of check out in your head because there's not that much of a difference in the projections between tucker and robert yeah that's just not how i appraise it in my head though i think of tucker is like a <laughs> much seems a lot safer safer yeah um i i do love luis has uh such incredible athleticism and, and skills and so i don't want to say that i don't like him as, you know as a player i love watching him uh, but i do think that the reduced strikeout rate came from a change in his approach in terms of he became more aggressive you know if you look at his first pitch swing rates, his swing rates in general, um, he swung more often early in the counts. He swung 61% of the time last year against the average of 47%. Like he was, it's Probably not just strikes. reaching, it's everything. He's swinging, he just, he just swung a ton. And uh, I saw a really interesting graphic from Tom Tango. And, you know, it's going to, there's, I'm going to be writing about this extensively at some point. I've got a big piece planned on this. But Tango showed uh, the number of runs a player has put together over their career on takes and the number of runs, you know, in terms of production, you know, value they put up on swings. And there were literally hundreds of players that had lots of value on takes you know, over their careers. This was like a career thing. It's like kind of hall level type names, right? There were like 25 batters that had positive values on swings. It's pretty interesting. So I have a a little bit of a theory, I guess. I haven't had time. I just thought about this now. Um, if you're if you tend to be aggressive on pitches outside the zone, either because you just have an overall aggressive approach or you don't have a very good sense of the strike zone or some combination of both, it mathematically, in my head, makes a lot more sense to be aggressive on the first pitch because you're probably getting first pitch strikes. You're probably getting pitches in the zone a lot more often because pitchers want to get ahead. So even if it's a breaking ball, it's probably in the zone more often than not on that first pitch. So if you... If you have this Robert sort of free-swinging approach, Javier Baez would probably fit into this category too. Even Keston Hira could fit into this. You should be hunting that first pitch, hunting a fastball, because you could just crush it, and you're not going to end up in a spot later in the count where you're flailing at pitches outside the zone that you have even less chance of hitting. Yeah, I mean, another way of saying it is if you have poor sense of the zone, why you you really want to avoid two strikes? You, know? mm-hmm. like, you don't want to wait and wait. And and if you if you're not likely to uh, tell the balls from strikes that well, then don't don't see more pitches go by because a lot of them could be strikes. You know? So um, it, it's just it's not my preferred uh, player to hatch my you know hitch my wagon to. Um, but I, I suppose if Trout and Betts were gone or if I, if I wanted to, um, yeah, the steals are there. I think that, you know, it's likely he could hit like 240 next year. Um, but even if he hits 240, I feel like he'll hit 25 to 30 homers and he'll steal 20 plus bags. Yeah. For his career, he's played 124 games in the big leagues. He's got 24 homers, 15 steals and 18 attempts. And that's, you know, it's not even a full season. Yeah, that's really for your first for your first 124 games. That's outstanding. 
And his team, I think, would will, will let him go. I don't know if that's a poor read of the White Sox, but I, I think that his team will let him let him steal bases. So um, I think it's I think it's a fine pick in the middle of the second round. I think uh, around the turn uh, where he goes, um, you know, I may want to go Trout pitcher or Betts pitcher. Um, you know, I may want to, uh, you know, Tucker. Or I may uh, there may be another bat that falls. I may want to get a pitcher in the second. Um, so that I'm, if I'm afraid of what happens, what pitcher gets back to me in the third. So uh, I think that uh, it's one of those things, again, where I might end up just going in a different direction. Yeah, that's been the pattern for me so far. Uh, and I've had a lot of spots where I've been picking early in round two, and I've been avoiding Robert so far. Not not like because I don't believe, but because the other players in that range seem either safer or they just offer something completely different as starting pitchers or higher floors, whatever it might be. He really stood out in that, in the same way as Tucker, um, you know, in the auction calculator. I, I guess the fair question is, is the auction calculator not valuing steals enough, right? If Tucker and um, Robert and, and Marte are, you know, the guys that kind of stick out uh, ADP wise versus do- dollar value wise, um, maybe that's why. You know, Mullins uh, has a $21 auction value and goes ahead of Aaron Judge, who has a $26 one. Well, guess what Aaron Judge doesn't do? Yeah, doesn't steal bases. I'm waiting for someone to email or tweet at us after this episode and say, yes, stolen bases are undervalued. Don't tell anyone because (laughs) we're we're getting first round talent in the second and third round because everybody thinks that the public facing tools are all right, but they're not calibrated correctly. I think that's possible. What I have noticed, and, and there's a couple tweets about this that are pretty cool, uh, and I, I, I'm not even going to butcher a name or because I, I, I can't remember exactly who did it. But there's a there's a couple analyses out there where they looked at basically, um, you know, how the steals premium and how much over dollar value, like auction value, dollar value, are, are people paying, and it ended up being from just sort of my appraisal of looking at it that the ones who steal sort of 20 or 30 are are getting the biggest premium you know that you're 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 spending the most on just their steals so it ended up being Marte Mullins Jazz Chisholm were kind of the three that you're paying the most just for their steals and the ones that you're paying the least for and this is part of why it's my strategy are the ones that give you 10 steals or 12 steals, you know? Um, so that's, uh, Soto is not, a, is not a, a zero in steals. Harper is not a zero in steals. Uh, those are the places where you're getting the full line and you're getting some steals, but you're not, you're not paying the most for them. So it's, uh, you know, it's a thing that uh, I try to do is, is get a bunch of 10 steals, guys. It's uh, it works for the most part, but I think you because you, you, you have catchers <laughs> and first baseman, you do need to mix in some 20s and 30s at some point in your draft. Right. And that tends to be within this group of top 100 overall picks. We'll have a few other sources of speed, of course, coming up here as we move through these tiers. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's drop into Tier 2. That group includes Jordan Alvarez, Starling Marte, Teoscar Hernandez, Whit Merrifield, who also has second base eligibility, Aaron Judge, Cedric Mullins, and Tyler O'Neill. So most of the names you were just mentioning all go in this range. These are top 50 overall picks. 
With Jordan, I think the knees seem to be okay, and we're at a point where what he's accomplished as a hitter to this point in his young big league career. And I just love him as a hitter, man, just in terms of what you look for in a hitter. He's, He's almost perfect. It points to a ceiling that's more like Vlad or Devers. Like that's the type mm-hmm. of hitter that that he is. So it kind of seems like this could be the sweet spot where he's still just a tick undervalued. And because he has outfield eligibility this year, that might not be something he has in future years. This could be the prime year to have Alvarez. And we could be talking about him as a guy that gets up one more level and pops 40 home runs and does it with an even better batting average than we saw in 2021 with the the usual runs and RBIs. Yeah, he's probably a a zero or a one in the stolen base category. So adjust accordingly. I mean, that's why he... That's why he's even available, you know. But but if you like Freddie Freeman, you should like Jordan Alvarez. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. know, he he does a lot of the same things. Really low swing strike rate, uh, really good, uh, you know, eye at the plate, really good barrel rate. Um, you know, just a just a really solid hitter with power to all fields and uh, and a good approach at the plate. I think so. I I love Alvarez. I, I, I I don't have I think I have very few shares though. It's um it's a it's an interesting part of the draft. I think he's a third rounder and I take I I've been taking starting pitching in the third round. Yeah, if you're in a 15 teamer, he's going just before the end of 2. If you're in a 12 teamer, it's just the early part of 3. So you kind of need to have an early first round position to end up with him in snakes right now unless you jump him up quite a bit, but I, I mean, I think your your Freddie Freeman sort of comparison is is on point, and I think with the you know, if you were to go hitter pitcher, and then you're sitting there in three in a twelve teamer, and Alvarez is still there, I think I'd be yeah. content to pass on the next pitcher and just go ahead and, and take yeah. Alvarez and you know wait it out a little bit on like speed. Just, I mean, it's just weird. Somebody is going to take Hendricks or Hater over this beautiful hitter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this this just hitting God. I mean, I. Like it's also one of those things where it's like it, I wish I, I wish upon all of you the ability to uh, to stand on the field during batting practice when you're on Alvarez is in the in the cage. I mean, everybody's paying attention. Everybody's looking. Might have to get credentialed for uh, A's <laughs> well, Astros could, games to do that. You could get, you could get close. Uh, uh, you're just showing up early. Well, yeah, but I mean, I maybe could get a credential, so I should consider yeah. that possibility. Uh, for selfish reasons, but the yeah. <laughs> the Alvarez projection, I think, is pretty similar to what you get from Aaron Judge, right? I mean, you got a guy that's projected to be in the high 270s, big power, great run production. I think both have some injury risk. That's the good comp, though, because they both have injury risk. Yeah, they both. They're, the knees on Alvarez are not great. So. It's He didn't really have any issues last year, right? I mean, we're talking yeah. about 144 games like that. If you were looking back at some of the polls that were happening this time last year where people were saying, how many games are you really expecting Alvarez to play? How many plate appearances? I would guess they skewed much lower than 144 and 598. I realized surgery on both knees just as a blanket sort of thing is pretty scary. But I think the question I have with Judge is, how worried are you about his injuries? Like In the sense that one of them, I think, was a hit-by-pitch in the wrist, right? So he missed a bunch of time because of that. I know sometimes it's more soft-tissue stuff with him. But I always worry that when we, we get that mix of both of those things, the bad luck plus some of the more chronic things, that we tend to overcorrect and say a player is more risky than he really is. Because the floor, from a skills perspective on Judge, is outstanding. I find myself constantly wanting to draft him in the range where he goes, even though he's another one of those early round mashers that doesn't offer much in the stolen base category. Yeah, uh, I guess I'm worried. I just wanted to look up uh, sprint speeds real quick. Jordan Alvarez, 406 out of 557. So, not. I mean, it's not good, but it's he's not with the catchers. You know, I think I think at some point in his career he will be with the catchers. You know what he I mean? Be. But he's mm-hmm. he's not there yet. I mean, around four oh six, you're talking Jerickson Profar, Reese Hoskins, uh, Profar runs like that. Isak Paredes, Matt Duffy. Uh, I'm surprised Profar has fallen yeah, that much. Wow, he's really slow. <laughs> uh, I just want to get a sense of where judges. Just this is like sort of a proxy, I think, for health. I mean, he's at two thirty two. So. 
he's running with like David Peralta, Josh Rojas, Andrew Benintendi. Um, so, I mean, that's, that, that's a good sign, uh, for his health. Um, I, I just, I do get a little bit of the Rick Smith's vibe where it's just like, this, this is just a lot. It's a lot of body. You know? <laughs> and it, 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 and you think about it, the, the Yankees are really good at, uh, at gathering these huge athletic human beings. And yet they also have had some issues with injuries. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it is, there is proof out there in terms of research that, you know, more weight is, is rough on your knees and, uh, you know, uh, larger people don't live as long. So I didn't mean to get so, uh, mortal. Sorry if you are one of our taller <laughs> listeners. It's a pretty bleak way to start your week. Yeah, sorry. Very sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just looking. I mean, uh, the, the nice thing about Judge is you open up his StatCast page and it's all red. I mean, it's literally red. And red is top 10 or top 5% of the league. So dude is really good at hitting the ball really hard. And... For what it's worth, like decent plate approach and not like a, a guy who whiffs a lot, you know? So it's basically a philosophical question. If you're getting hitters in this range, a lot of them are outfielders. You got a few elite closers, Hendricks Hader, you got Bieber tucked in here, Urias. Do you prefer the the likes of Alvarez and Judge and to the speedy outfielders that go in this range? Starling Marte and Whit Merrifield go in this range too. And then there's Teoscar Hernandez, who feels like the guy who's out of place, but made some significant skills improvements last year. And if he's sustaining that improved K rate, then I think maybe he does actually have a case to stay pretty close to this range. Mullins also goes in this range too, for what it's worth. Like, what is your general approach if you do end up with the position where all of these options are at your disposal, late round two, early round three, which route do you prefer to go? Auction calculator uh, says it should be Judge and Alvarez, you know, by $5 over the speedy guys. And so I think in, in my drafts, uh, five like $1 or $2, I'm not such an absolutist that I'm like, this is my value and, you know, that's it. But $5, I'm like, well, gosh, man, that's $5. That's a big deal. I'm going to take one of those guys and then hope one of the speed guys falls, you know, because I do look downwind and see, you know, these guys don't steal a ton of bases, but I see some Brian Reynolds, Christian Yelich, like, um, you know, Tyler O'Neill had the best batted balls in, in baseball last year, batted ball quality in baseball last year. So I do see some opportunities to get steals in the next bunch of outfielders. And so, I, like, if you're just asking me, it'd be Judge and Alvarez um, that I'd be taking, but I did want to point something out that Cardi uh, tweeted about uh, Derek Cardi, the, the 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 creator of the bat projections. Said, pretend all you know is a player X was forty for forty in stolen bases last year. How many stolen bases would you expect if drafting him this year? <laughs> and Derek Cardi said his most likely outcome is twenty eight stolen bases. Hmm. Because of the way players age and that category falls off quickly because of the hazards of running like all, all of those kinds of factors yeah i mean uh he's uh he clarifies some some aspects of it but he's trying to keep everything static and and still getting 28 stolen bases i think you've seen work from jeff zimmerman uh, saying that uh, stolen bases age terribly that's something we know that we've talked about here on this on this um podcast so i think it's aging i think it's just the just generally the league going away from it and then it's factors um like i was kind of saying about like kyle tucker right where it's um you know teams being like hey listen we know you can steal bases like what are they, what are they going to tell mike trout this year you know what i mean like it, let's steal a ton of bases calf. yeah exactly no. <laughs> Over under on Trout stolen bases for me is like six and a half. Yeah, exactly. So it's like one a month if we get a full season. Ugh, I'm sorry to depress everyone with our commentary <laughs> about tall people. Like death and like <laughs> God, we are we are just tanking. Right Happy now. Monday morning. <laughs> I'm in a good mood. Like I, if you were watching on YouTube, I think my face has a, a nice like 
sun-kissed glow to it. I, I got sun <laughs> yesterday. Like I, I'm happy. The the table sawing sounds outside my window have stopped during our recording, oh, which is good. just an absolute miracle. Like things are looking up. I think the other question here. Okay, so maybe Alvarez and Judge are your preferred options of this group. If they're not there a little bit later and the speed options are still there and you're looking at Starling Marte and Whit Merrifield and Cedric Mullins. Do you have a strong preference within that group of three? Like, I like Mullins the most because I think Mullins breaks the projections. You stop switch hitting, it changes everything about your profile as a hitter and you have this massive breakout. Projection systems can't handle that very well. It, it's this They can give you a better sense of reality than dreaming on the potential the way I like to in my mind. But I I look at the numbers and compared to other early rounders, it's actually a good bit of, of red ink with my conditional cheat sheet formatting, a 254 projected average, 21 homers, 25 steals, uh, a low RBI total because of his lineup and, and lineup position, a good number of runs scored, 86, but you'd expect 100 plus if you were in a better lineup. Like, so I understand some of the warts, but I tend to think that Cedric Mullins is actually the best player out of the three between Mullins. Marte and Merrifield. The problem for Mullins is that Marte might be in a much, much better lineup, right? So he might just be flat out better because of circumstances that are out of both of their control. Yes, but there's a couple things uh, that are interesting about Marte's projection too, which is that one of his skills is getting hit by pitches. That's not, yeah, it's a skill, but it's an occupational hazard. Too. It's a risky skill, <laughs> yeah. And he's lost time over over the years. You know, there. I remember early on we were saying, "Oh, Stanton is not necessarily injury prone. He just got hit, you know, in the face that one time." That was early on, but uh, it turned out that he did have soft tissue problems over his career. You could say the same about Marte. Oh, you know, a lot of these injuries have been just being hit by pitches, but. He stands really close to the box and gets hit by pitches. Like, it's part of his deal. So, and then the other thing is the the stadium there. I think it's kind of hard to get a good park factor for City Field. Um, I've talked to people within the the game who were like, do do people not know that that's like a ridiculous pitcher's park all of a sudden, you know? There, there. Every year, we consider or write a piece about why balls are performing weirdly in City Field. They, they are one of the teams that added a humidor, and it wasn't because they're super humid or super dry or up in you know five you know a mile up in the sky. It's just because they were like, we don't know why the balls are performing so weirdly, <laughs> and so we're just going to try and keep things the same humidity and see if that changes things. And I don't think it necessarily did. So there's something weird about that ballpark. And though I like that he hits the ball better than Whit Merrifield and would take him over Whit Merrifield, I could see taking Mullins over Marte because now the difference, even by projections, is $2, right? It's not the $5 difference. And if you consider that maybe Marte's 600 plate appearance projection is a little risky given his, you know, his skills, and then, you know, what what is his power going to look like in 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 um, in New York? Then I, I could see taking Mullins over Marte, and I think that's a decent way to rank the the speed options: Mullins, Marte, Merrifield. Uh, maybe it's the uh, the Cardi stuff that you were just. Mentioning a few minutes ago, right, you look at a player who's 33 years old and you say, okay, yeah, if he was 40 for 40 last year, we'd expect 28 and he was 47 for 52. So the projection is still going to come out pretty nice in the low 30s for steals. But we're talking about a guy who's old. I wonder if that tweet was about Marte. It could be. I mean, there's a six, it's a five, six year age difference between Mullins and Marte. And there's also the difference of the Orioles still rebuilding green lights a plenty for the Mets. Maybe you don't have to give Marte maximum green lights because you're scoring plenty of runs. Again, we're talking about losing some steals in the margins. We're not talking about epic sorts of collapses, but Mm -hmm. I I think Mullins is just exactly the type of weird case that, that kind of breaks down a system and then he ends up ranking lower than he should for a lot of people. You also have a season in 2019 where Marte stole 25 bags with 23 homers. Right. Well, and you're getting a big difference in power, too. Like, yeah, changes to Camden Yards, but Cedric Mullins hit 30 home runs last year. Mm-hmm. 
What's the career high for Starling Marte? 23 in 2019 with the rabbit ball. And he hits the ball on the ground a ton. He's run a 50% ground ball rate or higher each of the last four seasons. Starling Marte is not popping 20 home runs again with that approach in that park. That's just not going to happen. He has to change some things he's doing with his swing if that's really going to happen. So, you know, maybe you get 10 more steals or 15 more steals from Marte, but you might get 20 more home runs from Cedric Mullins this year. So that's a huge difference between them two. It's not just that one category. Yeah. And I've, I've liked Starling Marte for a long time. I think all of this is to say that I can't quite figure out why Cedric Mullins is sinking a little bit in this group of early rounders. I think he's legitimately maybe a sneaky first rounder. I, I, I believed that. And mm. I love that he slipped a little bit because if I could get him in the late part of round three, I'm happy to see what's next. It's also just kind of bizarre for me that, you know, Marte used to be uh, like a sneaky great pick in the third and fourth rounds, right? And then he got older and older and older, and now people are like taking him in second, you know? Um, Fear of missing out on steals, recency bias, all those things. He's still a good player. I just, I'm finding that the increased price, the little bit of extra risk, it just doesn't quite feel the same as it did a couple years ago when it comes to taking Marte where he goes. We should get to Tyler O'Neill real quick. An absurd barrel rate last season, 17.9%, which gives you a bit of a cushion when you strike out 30% of the time. His O-swing percentage isn't at all like Luis Robert's. We talked about that earlier, over 40%. So I think there's a chance that Tyler O'Neill could still lower the K rate just a little bit. And if you need proof, look at the other guy in this group who's kind of similar to him in Teoscar Hernandez, who had plenty of red ink in the past, had a K rate north of 30% that made me a little bit skeptical of him a year ago, brought that down to the 20% range. And, and here we are with Teoscar Hernandez, you know, holding a, an ADP inside the top 40. Tyler O'Neill in or out for 2022 at the increased price. I have a share. I really like that he, the, the you know, he had this expected extra base hits category. This uh, the, this research that was done uh, by Max Bay before he went to the Astros that uh, that beats barrel rate and predictive quality. So you know, I like that he was number one last year in in that stat. Um, and I think that I think that Teoscar, I think like you know. Which one would you take? I think I would take Tyler over to Oscar. He's just he stole more bases last year than than um, than Teoscar ever has. If we're equalizing the price, that becomes really difficult. I think it's easier to pass on Hernandez, knowing you can get O'Neill maybe yeah. a round later in some cases. Yeah. But if if they both let's say Hernandez dropped to like pick forty and O'Neill crept up to pick forty, straight up I think I would be I'd be on the Hernandez side. There's a pretty decent gap still between the quality of the Jays lineup and the quality of the Cardinals lineup. And I think that's uh, enough of a difference park. for me. Yeah. The park matters. Yep. So again, I, I'm not expecting a massive drop in O'Neill's K percentage, but I just think Hernandez did it. And I didn't think Hernandez could. So I've, I've opened my mind to that possibility that we don't have to live in a world where Tyler O'Neill continues to strike out more than 30% of the time in perpetuity. There's at least a glimmer of hope. Yeah, yeah, and Teoscar did have that sort of 38% in a short sample, 31, 33, and got it down to 25% last year. If if Tyler O'Neill did that, ooh, baby. Gross, right? I mean, like 40-plus homers and 20 steals. I mean, more balls in play, more times on base. There's just a lot of things he could do, and he'd carry a great average, I think, to go with it. So uh, now everyone's excited. Maybe we're going to get people back on the, the optimistic side. Even with projections in the 31% range, the batting average at 250, 260, you know, it's because of the, the quality of his batter balls. And, and, you know, I feel like that's not going to sink your team. I think, mm-hmm. what do you think, what are what are benchmarks for batting average uh, in 15 teams leagues right now? What does it take to be like top three in yeah. a league like that? I mean, I think since like two high two sixties, low two seventies. Yeah, I would say yeah. two seventy. So you would just need a guy who could hit two eighty to pair with him at his projected batting average. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of of concern there. So I'm I'm warming up to O'Neill where he goes. Um, haven't drafted him yet. I'm not going to have him on half of my remaining teams or anything like that. But I could definitely end up with him at least once or twice before draft season is over. 
All right, the goal today is going to be to get through at least the top 100 overall picks that happen to be outfielders because Tier 3 is pretty big. This is a great group of players that stretches from 50 to 100. It includes Buxton and Springer, Castellanos, Randy Arozarena, Eloy, Cattell Marte, J.D. Martinez, Tommy Edmond, who has second base eligibility too, Dalton Varsho, catcher eligibility, Brian Reynolds, Giancarlo Stanton, Cody Bellinger, Chris Bryant, and Christian Yelich. I mean, we have... All sorts of paths to go down here. We'll start with Buxton. The questions at this point are more about health than skills. He's quietly improved his skills to look like an early round guy if he can just stay on the field for 550 to 600 plate appearances. As a center fielder, who's a great defender, that can happen. It's just a matter of not having something go wrong. A collision with the wall following a ball off his ankle, getting hit by a pitch, straining a hamstring, all the types of things that have stacked up against him. Risk-reward, we talk about it with Edelberto Mondesi a lot. Buxton versus Mondesi kind of ends up being a decision you can make in the, the broader player pool in this range. Who do you trust more based on core skills you've seen and their respective injury ledgers to this point? I like Buxton's plate approach better. Um, so I'm going to take Buxton between those two. Buxton is the best projected value on this list uh, that you just gave other than Nick Castellanos. And Buxton is only projected for 497 plate appearances. So there's some of that risk is built in. I mean, there's the chance he gets to 600. I would like Byron Buxton to talk to Bryce Harper because Bryce Harper used to get injured, you know, flying around the outfield. And then before the, in his contract year, like <laughs> they were able, I think Ben Lindbergh like showed showed that he was not trying as hard, <laughs> was not was not taking the risks, was not diving as much. And in fact, there was a piece that just came out by Mark Simon over at Baseball Info Solutions where he pointed out that Pete Alonso is putting himself at risk for injury by being the divingest first baseman in baseball. He dives more than anybody else by a factor of about a third. So. And they said that they've shown and proven that uh, diving, the people who start, stop, and dive the most are the ones who get injured the most. So I would say to Buxton, like, you know, let a couple balls fall in, man, and live live to live to take another plate appearance. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that just doesn't work with his mindset. He does. He He's a very exciting player to watch, and I wouldn't necessarily want to take away from that excitement, but I would also love to see what a 650 plate appearance Byron Buxton season looks like. It'd be a career high by about 140 plate appearances if it happened. <laughs> Last four seasons, 254, 135, 295, and 94 plate appearances for Buxton. So, um, yes, why does he go here? Well, that's a hell of an injury history to be worried about, but. Still a great base stealer, even with the added power. 9 of 10 last year, just in 61 games. Popped the 19 home runs. Still doesn't draw a ton of walks, but he's lowered the K rate from where it was earlier in his career. If he's in the 23 to 25% range with the rate he's barreling the ball, that is going to work out just fine for Buxton. He's going to be right in the heart of that Twins order, too. So kind of a bounce-back team for me. And I think the fact that they went ahead and and committed to him with a longer-term deal, I think that says a lot about their, their belief that he can come through and stay healthy for at least a few of those seasons in that uh, longer term deal. The I really recommend people sort uh, do the auction calculator and sort by ADP because it it, it really players pop out like you see you're like, "Oh my gosh." And in this group uh that you that you just mentioned that which their ADPs go from uh the top end uh, at uh, I guess Tyler O'Neill was kind of the beginning of the of the was that where we started? Judge? Yeah, he was end of the last group, and, yeah. and Buxton's part of this. Yeah. So okay, even if we do, let's just do Buxton from uh, Buxton at fifty-five uh, ish to uh, Yelich around a hundred, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking four or five rounds. Here's the weird thing: they're all eighteen-dollar players, eighteen, nineteen, seventeen. They're all equivalent players. So that does tell you something about like oh, you can wait. And take Bellinger or Yelich later, you know. And especially if you're looking at uh, George Springer versus getting one of those closers, you know, one of the good closers. 
So maybe Springer versus Presley. And you the auction calculator says, no, 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 don't don't take Presley. He's only worth 11 bucks or whatever. You have to know what your draft looks like. And then you have to know that George Springer, by this, has an $18 value. And Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich have $18 values. You know? So that that pops for me when I look at this. I say these are these are roughly equivalent outfielders, and you you can just take the one that falls, right? The other thing that pops for me is Nick Castellanos. For some reason, the projection just it loves him, and he's a twenty three dollar player. When and, and Buxton's a twenty one dollar player, those two pop out. Edmund pops out in a bad way. He's a fourteen dollar player that's in this group. Edmund and Varsho. Now Varsho. I think you can explain away with the catcher eligibility. But Edmund, and then Edmund, I guess you have the, the extra uh, second base. But what did, what did uh, a plucky reader uh, tell us? They thought um, it added 5 to 10% value uh, to have extra eligibilities. Yeah, I think that was the, the estimation. And I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at a guy like Varsho. And the bigger question for him long term, because I think our friend James Anderson tweeted this out, he doesn't think Varsho is going to have catcher eligibility in the future, right? Because if, if they're going to use Carson Kelly as the primary catcher and they're going to let Varsho yeah, play like every day in the outfield, yeah. if he's an outfielder, he's an outfielder. Does he hit enough to justify an ADP like this in the future or even an earlier one without that catcher? eligibility. I think that's a huge part of whether or not you believe in paying up for him now or not. I mean, you're getting the catcher flexibility now, so that's driving the price too. But if you think he's an impact bat who's going to be an everyday center fielder, that's a steal where he's going. I just think in, in snakes in particular, there are so many other players I feel better about right now. I like Dalton Varsho as a player, but I have a harder time passing on him when I'm looking at the Reynolds, Bellinger, Bryant Yelich cluster sitting right there and say, wow, all those guys, like e- even if Christian Yelich is back to a does a bit of everything floor, mm-hmm. you know, good or decent average, 15 to 18 homers, 15 steals, nice, nice pile of runs and RBIs. If that's the player he is now, that's fine where he goes. It's not as exciting as what he was when he was an MVP candidate, but even that, it's like, well, how much better than that is Dalton Varsho going to be as an everyday player? Yeah, right. <laughs> like that's that's a pretty tall ask. Yeah, I'd rather have that at catcher than in like the Brian Reynolds is not the most amazing player, but is Varsho going to be Brian Reynolds? Brian Reynolds is low key just good right. across the board. I mean, we talked about Cody Bellinger back around the end of the year, and the bounce back potential seems really clear right there. I actually don't have any problem having multiples from the bottom part of this group. Yeah. I've had Bellinger and Yelich on the same team. I think that can actually work. I don't think that's taking I've, on too much risk because you're getting them after pick 75, and one or both of those guys could be top 50 picks relatively easily again going into next season. And I've put them in a bucket, too, where I've been like, I'm going to take this pick now because I'm leaving Bellinger and Yelich on the board in the eighth round or something, and I think or the seventh round, and I can and I think I can get them coming back. And and I've gotten I've gotten one share of the two with that strategy, you know. Uh, it does it does end up with me having Yelich more than Bellinger, and I prefer Bellinger if cost is equal. Uh, but uh, Yelich like steals more, so mm-hmm. it's okay. And and I understand that Edmund. So let's give him the ten percent extra for being a second base eligible guy, right? So we're giving him an extra dollar. So now he's fifteen dollars. He's still the worst option in this group uh, by far, and uh, and it, by the projections at least. And Randy Arozarena, mm-hmm. I would actually pay the premium to get Randy Arozarena over Edmund if steals was my my desire. Because in this group, what you have noticed is there, other than Buxton, Arozarena, and Edmund, nobody's a plus stealer. You can get Yelich late for a, a few bags. But if you want more than than a few bags, you're going to have to pay up for a Rosarena or Edmund. And then, and if that's where I'm stuck, I'm going to take a Rosarena. So Randy Rosarena was 20 for 30 as a base stealer last year. He popped the 20 home runs, had a 28.1% K rate. So maybe there's still some room for improvement because we're still talking about a guy with only 700 career regular season appearances, plate appearances. Does a little bit of everything. The projection systems all point to a lower batting average than he's ever had as a big league player. And again, we're talking about mostly one full season and two partials. I think they're missing something. 
I wonder. I, I mean, I really wonder if if something's off there. It, it, it's probably just not forecasting enough potential improvement in K percentage. It's also the BABIP at 363 last year compared to projections in the 320 or even the 314 mark that the bad X puts up. That's also going to bring that average down mm-hmm. quite a bit too. So I wonder if, yeah, if it's, it's something in the batted ball profile that's possibly being missed with Randy or Rosarena. But I do think the the success rate on the stolen bases is sitting right in that range where they could pump the brakes on him a little bit with the steals. He could be a 12-steal guy instead of a 20-steal guy. That doesn't wreck you, though. We're talking about getting 10, 12, 15 from every spot, and he does other things. And he's also among the Rays that doesn't appear to have a, a clear path to falling into sharing his spot. He looks yeah. like one of their higher volume guys at this point. Maybe that's only going to be for one more year, but he's an interesting player for a lot of different reasons. I did see that Zips uh, founder Dan Zimborski was saying that his BABIP, his projected BABIP, his stat cast usage does have spray direction in it which is a an improvement over the ones at Savant. They do not consider the direction of the ball, and that matters because pull versus push does matter. It matters how you're, how you're defended. And a Rosarena is really good at spraying the ball around, has opposite field power and pull power. And so um, it is interesting to me that Zips still projects him for a 325 Babbitt. It's higher than some other ones. Hmm. But it does only create a 256 batting average in the Zips projection. So maybe I have it wrong. Maybe he's only a 260 hitter. But I do think he's sort of across the line good, better, good in a way that Edmund is not quite. Yeah, I mean, straight up, I I, I think anybody out there would say it's, it's Randy because there's just more stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm just making the point that I think it's worth the, the premium too. Well, I guess the other thing I'm looking at Look at the XBA on Randy Arozarena. It was 220 last year. Doesn't mm-hmm. the StatCast XBA take more of those factors into account? It does not have batted ball spray in it. It still doesn't have spray in there. That's a that's still even if it did. That's 274 really low. against 220. I mean, he hmm. does hit a, a few too many ground balls, uh, but for the most part, he hits them hard. So I care a little bit more about that than I care about too many ground balls. Now I'm staring this one down, and I'm 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 not sure. Deserves uh, further exploration, I think, is where I've landed with Randy Arozarena. Uh, other players in this group, Eloy Jimenez, kind of a young J.D. Martinez. Like, he can already do what old J.D. does. Can he really do what young J.D. Average. did, though? Can he, can he be the kind of player that takes that leap? I, I think that's the that's the next step that people are hoping for from him. I'm really surprised he hit 249 last year. I, I think of Eloy as a 280 hitter every year. Yeah, projections have him bouncing back into the 270s at least. Steamer a little lower at 267. 30 home runs, 80-80 for runs and RBIs. Room for more in some of those projection systems for sure. Good lineup around him. If you have steals, you you get the benefit of taking somebody like this later on. Yeah, I think he makes a lot of sense. I'm a little nervous about Nick Castellanos leaving Cincinnati. I think he's a really good hitter. I think Universal DH is good for a player like Nick Castellanos. It has to be because there are some major defensive issues. By the auction calculator, he should be taken like 30 points higher than he is. Yeah, so here's my here's my issue. I wonder with what park they project him into. I guess it's just super neutral like the expected home runs by park in 2021. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati 39. Like it's the most of any place. There's other places where he would have been mid to high 30s, but there's a lot of places where he would have been where are you getting high this? 20s. Statcast. Uh, on a Statcast player page. Yeah, on a Statcast player page, there's that big chart of expected home runs by park. Uh huh. He's not going to turn to a pumpkin in a neutral environment or even a pitcher friendly environment. He is a good hitter. He's been a good hitter for a long time. We've seen the power peak. Where could he go? Like, do expected home runs by San Francisco? Because he could go there. San Francisco expected home runs 30. Yeah, it's still, still, still good. good. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I'm landing on this. Okay. We saw the, the very best of Nick Castellanos, but what are the encores going to look like? I don't think he's out of place in this group, but I'm having a hard time taking him at that ADP. He's a, we- he's a weird player, man, because he's got really good strikeout rates given his really poor reach rates. He's like he's like a, a hit tool god, you know? Like I don't think that people appreciate that. 
I mean, he's 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 reaching at nearly 40% of the pitches he sees, but he has a 20% strikeout rate, a 21% projected strikeout rate. I, th- I do think that at some point that becomes a problem. And I think that's a little bit p- part of why, also his defense, that he hasn't seemed to quite get the deals that you'd expect him to get in free agency. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the market is telling us a little bit something where they see a little bit too much Josh Hamilton in this, where it could fall apart at some point. Um, but he has a way better hit tool than Josh Hamilton ever did. And he's the heel of the NL Central, at least he was. <laughs> yeah. Kind of would love to see him stay in Cincinnati, but that's just not. It's I, not and happen. I like talking to him. He has like really, you know, he has, he's an opinionated guy who he just says his mind, and uh, he has an interesting game. And uh, you know, it's a he's an interesting player. I don't think I'll end up with a lot of of shares. I'm, I just uh, it's just not my type of player, really. It should translate outside of Cincinnati well enough, though. If you look at his StatCast page, he's got four seasons with an XBA in Red Ink, top 10% of the league. He has mm-hmm. six consecutive seasons with Red Ink on the X slug. Mm-hmm. That should play anywhere. Yeah, It's just a question of how much does he lose in the home run category? How much does he possibly lose in the batting average category along with that? I don't think it's a crater situation, but if he's a 280-28 homer guy in a different ballpark, well, look at that steamer projection. That's that's that like given where he's going in drafts, that would be not disastrous, but 270 29 homers. Yeah. That's, that that's, wouldn't that wouldn't be a return on your value, I don't think. I think you'd be okay with it, but you'd be a little disappointed. You're not going to fail to win because you made that decision right, and got that result. Yeah, that wouldn't be a team sinking bust. But it is, I mean, it's it would be a little tough because he wouldn't be giving you extra value beyond in any category. I think when you do draft him, you think, okay, this guy's going to help my batting average at the very least and keep me solid in power, right? Mm-hmm. The last cluster of the group was, you know, John Carlos Stanton, Bellinger, Bryant, Yelich, and as much as I like Stanton for still being able to just hit rockets that no one else hits at a level that no one else hits them at, I still have him last of that group. I would still take Everybody else of those four. I mean, he's thirty-two I took now. Him. Thirty-two is like you know. Now you're starting yeah, projected bounce backs. Stop being as reliable at thirty-two. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like the, it's not the time. But I guess you know, in terms of projected bounce back, he's actually two seventy-three with thirty-five homers last year. That was a good outcome. You're not projecting him to bounce back. You're just projecting him to do the same thing. But five hundred seventy-nine, of course, was one of his. His fourth biggest season, fifth biggest season. So to to project him for more going forward, that's that's what I think is a little bit weird about it. You know? He's only in this group in terms of projections if you give him five hundred and ninety-five plate appearances, which he hasn't done since twenty eighteen. And why would he do more than he did last year? And he's older. You can kind of spin it either way, though. You could look at 17, 18, and 21 and say 692, 705, and 579 plate appearances. That's all. Those are all pretty good outcomes. That's right. And it was just, you know, being so three plagued out of five in 2019. Years, he's a good pick. Three out of five, 2020 was a disaster for everybody. So whatever. Let's not worry about that. We're, are, are we putting too much stock into what happened in 2019, 2019 when evaluating his injury risk? He's super scary, yeah. And does he still have a ceiling above high 30s for home runs? But he doesn't need that necessarily where he's going. But uh, I, I have found myself in no situation where I felt like Stanton made sense in that range. Something else has always made more sense. Yeah, What's what else goes at 96? I mean, I, like I personally, he's right there with Bellinger and Yelich. And I just rather take a bet on the guys that are six years younger than him and still steal some bases, right? Yeah, like exactly. For the same kind of profile, I just feel a lot better about Bellinger, especially now that he's further removed from the shoulder. Bryant, I think you get a little more balance and you get that multi-position flexibility. You can move him between the outfield and the corner or throw him mm-hmm. just at third base directly. And then projections even like Bellinger and Yelich better than Stanton. And, and there's, there's, I think, a little bit less risk of that. Like if you were going to say, they're all projected for about 580 plate appearances, I would say no matter what we think, Stanton is the least likely to hit the 580 plate appearances. But I think it's as simple as this. If, if he slides, so if he's his ADP right now is around pick 90. If he slides into the next group that we'll get to on the next episode, if he falls two or three rounds, I'm I'm in. Like I don't, I don't think he's way off. I just think the other guys that are still sitting there when 
he's at the top of the queue are just a little bit more interesting to me, even though the skills floor still looks really good from a raw power perspective. So hopefully this was a good start. It's probably at least a two-episode week with the outfielders. It might turn into a three-episode week, depending on the progress we can make in the next cluster where there's a lot of other interesting players mixed in. Kind of the most important range of your draft, I think a lot of times, is that pick 100 to 200 or pick 100 to 250 range. So we're going to try and be very thorough with that group of outfielders. Happy Draft Kit Day, by the way. If you do not have a subscription to The Athletic, this is a great time to get one. $1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Oh, draft Kit landed today. It's there. Get that. Draft Kit landed today. Have a, a piece in there about closers. Uh, a piece coming this week about uh, beer for your draft, beer recommendations, nationally available beer recommendations. I updated the pitching ranks with uh, depth chart positions. So that you can, that helped me kind of uh, avoid ranking eight starters too high. Um, so I kind of keep it in the pants moment there. And, uh, oh, super deep sleepers. Uh, guys I like after the 500th pick in your draft. So be sure to check that out in the draft kit, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Best offer we do all year, $1 a month for the first six months on Twitter. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper as always. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com with any questions. You could also ask questions on this uh, video on YouTube. If you're watching us over there, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you later this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.